What do you want? What do you want? Nah. What do you want? I don't know, how do you think he asked it? Those are Jesus' first words in the Gospel of John. What do you want? What do you want? Seriously, what, what do you want? It's a heck of a question, isn't it? Where does your mind go first? Are you looking down at your cup of tea and thinking a chocolate digestive dip in this? Undoubtedly the best biscuit companion to a cuppa. I will hear no debate on the matter. Don't get me started on rich teas. <laughs> Do you think, uh, are you thinking uh, a little nap, maybe? A glass of water, a takeout if you're a bit hungry, maybe? Maybe a couple of hours away from your kids? Uh, maybe you're thinking a bit bigger, a new job, a dog, uh, a hot tub in the back garden, a private jet. Maybe you went a bit deeper. I want peace, love. I want purpose in life. Wherever your mind's gone, that question makes you think, doesn't it? We pick up in this verse that we've just read at the very first words that uh, Jesus says in John's gospel. John is introducing us to fully man, fully God, walking on this earth, Jesus Christ. And it's at this point we hear his first words. You've got crazy old John the Baptist, different John by the way, talking about the Messiah, proper bigging him up. This man's going to come after me. He's going to be greater than me. He's the Lamb of God. He'll baptise with spirit, not water. This is God's chosen one. And we're thinking, oh my goodness, sounds incredible. Come on then. What's he got? What's he going to say? What's he going to say? What do you want? I think this is really key. John is incredibly careful with the way he puts together his account of the life and teachings of Jesus. What's amazing about John's gospel is that he has a brilliant view of the big picture of the plan of God and a really good grasp on the Old Testament uh, and the writings of the prophets and, and the scriptures. And a lot of how John sets out his gospel is to pull together themes and overarching narratives and tie them into this first-hand account of Jesus' teaching. He's really intentional. Like how he starts his gospel, like we read in, uh, like we listened to in Ben's talk last week. In the beginning, there was the Word. Which obviously draws you back to Genesis 1. In the beginning, there was God. John is writing his account of the life and ministry of Jesus, and he makes sure that Jesus' first, and also I like to point out, last words are questions. So he must have thought it was important. In fact, in John's Gospel, Jesus asks about 55 questions, and some of them we'll recognise. Um, in John 5, he asks the leper at the pool, do you want to get well? In John 8, he asks the woman who is about to get stoned for adultery, uh, and then everyone leaves, he asks her, where are they now? Has no one condemned you? In John 21, he asks, asks Peter, who had previously denied him three times, do you love me? Three times. John is showing here that a central way Jesus communicated was through questions, or at least that's clearly something that stuck out to him. And he's not alone. Jesus asks tons of questions in the Gospels of Matthew and Mark and Luke. In the Gospels, Jesus asks way more questions than he answers. It's estimated he asks um, over 300 questions. Asking questions was central to his life and teachings. Ben introduced us last week to the idea that Jesus is always wanting to speak to us and have a conversation with us, and we just have to listen. 
and he speaks through creativity and community and the Bible and the Holy Spirit. And this week we're looking more specifically at one of the ways he speaks. We're asking why does Jesus ask so many questions? And also, are we hearing them? What is he asking us? Now, I'd like to point out, I can hardly scratch the surface of why and how Jesus communicates. And as John said at the end of his gospel, um, if we were to write down all the things that Jesus said and did, even the whole world wouldn't have enough room uh, for the books that will be written. So we're hardly scratching the surface, but we're going to look at some of the reasons Jesus asks questions. Now, when you think about it, it's weird, right, that God, Jesus, asks questions. Because God is all-knowing and Jesus is fully God as well as fully man. So, of course, Jesus knows the answer. And it's clear that Jesus knows a lot, like how he knew at the start that Judas would betray him. Or how he's able to know the thoughts of the Pharisees before they even say them out loud at times. So there must be other reasons Jesus asks questions other than to just gain knowledge himself. Could it be to really like clearly transfer knowledge from him to us? Well, Jesus rarely answers questions directly himself. We talked about how many questions he asks. He's asked roughly about 180 questions in the Gospels. And you can probably count on one or two hands the answers uh, that are direct, that he gives directly. He tends to answer uh, with parables or with questions himself. So why else? Why else would Jesus ask questions? Well, Jesus uh, asks uh, a lot of questions and tells a lot of parables. And these are two of his favourite methods of communication. And both these methods have in common that they're not direct answers, as we've just said. What they're doing is they're asking the listener to participate in a process of understanding and engaging them in a larger conversation. The goal is not to communicate knowledge, but to elicit new understanding in the listener through ongoing conversation. Information is not the goal. Transformation and relationship are. When I asked you, what do you want? I wasn't simply presenting you with information that you can process at your will. And I wasn't giving you a piece of information that you can then walk off and be left with. Questions and Jesus questions do three things. They give us a choice. They draw us into conversation with the one that's asking them. And they get us thinking and searching and exploring and seeing things differently. So... Firstly, they give us a choice. God gives us free will. God could easily have created an army of clones that loved him without choice, but he doesn't want that. Jesus could easily have forced people to follow him or performed tons of miracles to wow everyone, to make it really difficult to think that he's anything other than the son of God, but he didn't. In fact, Jesus showed hesitancy to show off his power, like at the wedding at Cana when his mother seemed to sort of, you know, give him a bit of a nudge and convince him to actually turn the water into wine. Or in John 4, when a royal official asks Jesus to heal his son and Jesus says, unless you people see signs and wonders, you'll never believe. Now, Jesus wants real love, real faith, and real faith chooses. Look at when Jesus is teaching in John 6 about he, how he is the bread of life and that we must eat of his flesh and drink of his blood to have life in us. Now, this sounds weird at first, but it's a metaphor. 
And in the most, most, uh, the most basic essence, what Jesus is saying here is that nothing satisfies like he does. There is nothing else that we can consume or do that will give us life, that will go on forever, eternal life. Everything else fades and dies other than accepting him into our lives fully and completely. But that's a hard thing to hear. Eating his flesh and drinking his blood, it's not super easy teaching. I doubt any of us are about to jump on Canva and you know, make an Instagram post and trying to get a thousand likes out of that. And many of his followers leave at this point. And Jesus turns around and asks his 12 disciples, you don't want to leave me too, do you? He's genuinely asking. He's giving them a choice. Because Jesus longs for hearts that are fully committed through the easy and the difficult, hearts that choose him. Not those that are after his miracles for quick wins or those that are going to run off as soon as the going gets tough or follow his teach or follow or, or realize that basically following his teaching and being a Christian actually makes us sort of stand out and often we're condemned by others for doing so. Throwing back to our passage at first, he asks his soon-to-be disciples, What do you want? Immediately there's an invitation to think about what they're after and if they want to choose him. It's getting right to the heart of the matter. And that's one of the reasons he asks questions, to allow us to choose, to choose him. Wholeheartedly following Jesus is a big choice and not one to take lightly. And his questions leave space for us to honestly choose him in faith. And another reason is because he values relationship and continued conversation. Now, Imagine you're chatting to someone right now. You can do this practice if, you, if you're with someone in person for a watch party. And maybe you're sitting next to someone on the sofa or outside of the garden if the weather's good. Um, and, and just imagine you're having a conversation with them. Now, this other person, they just, they just want to go. They're disinterested. They're not really engaged. You want to keep them going in conversation. How are you going to do it? What's the best way to keep them engaged in conversation? You can rugby tackle them to the ground. Oh, not really a conversation. I mean, they're there, you've got them pinned down physically, but not really engaged in conversation. Um, you could do all the talking, you could monologue. It's a technique I like to use myself. Let me tell you, doesn't guarantee engagement. Basically, you're just doing all the talking, it's not really a conversation. But the best way to keep conversation going is to ask questions. Jesus wants a continued conversation with us. And when he asks questions, he's genuinely interested in the answers. Think for a second about the road to Emmaus. I love this story. Jesus walks alongside two of his disciples in disguise. Now, the context is um, that Jesus just died on the cross and he's come back to life. Um, and, uh, and these two disciples don't know that yet. Uh, they are, are in a confused place where they've seen Jesus die and they're grieving and they've heard from, from, from Mary and the other woman that they've, they've seen the empty tomb, but they're struggling with faith. And Jesus comes and walks alongside them and, and hides him, his, himself so that they don't recognise him. And he asks them, what are you talking about? I think this is a beautiful example of Jesus inviting people into honest conversation with him. These disciples talk to Jesus about their grief what they'd hoped Jesus would do. They processed their fears and their lack of belief. And through that question and more questions, Jesus challenges them and encourages them to have faith and remember what was written in the scriptures about the Messiah and what Jesus himself had promised. Jesus might know the answers, but he still cares deeply about the conversation. He loves being in relationship with us and he loves when our attention is on him. He loves when we're honest with him.
Look throughout the Bible. Look at all, all the people that are open and honest with God. Those who are raw and real. Elijah in the desert. David in the Psalms. Job as he wrestles with that ultimate pain and suffering and loss. All of these honest conversations with God lead to deeper relationship with him. And God wants that. He knows that our attention on him and our honesty with him is what will draw us closer to him and, to, and help us become more likely, more like him. And so he asks us questions to bring us into that conversation. The alternative is to ignore God until we think we have the right answer, which is easy to do. But I think it ignores the heart of why Jesus is asking conversations. He doesn't mind if we say, I don't know. He doesn't get offended if we disagree. Jesus surrounded himself with people who said the wrong thing all the time and gave the wrong answers all the time. And people frequently left when hearing Jesus' teaching because it was too difficult for them to take. His open-mindedness will astound you. Don't worry. Just be honest and have a conversation with him. Again, let's throw back to that first passage. What do you want? Immediately, he's inviting the disciples to speak, to enter conversation and to be honest with him. Again, get straight to the heart of the matter. It's not who are you or why are you following me? It's what do you want? He's asking questions to keep us talking with him because it's only in conversation with God that we'll discover truth. We'll discover that Jesus has the words of eternal life. He loves talking and exploring with us and helping us work things out. And that's another reason Jesus asks questions, to encourage us to see things differently and to search and explore for the truth. One of my favourite proverbs is Proverbs 25 verse 2. It says, the glory of God is to conceal a matter and the glory of kings is to search it out. What I love about that verse is it doesn't say the glory of kings is to find it. The glory is in the searching, the wrestling with God, in the relationship as we've been talking about. Jesus often asks difficult questions. They're simple questions, but they're provocative and difficult. And they're designed to get us to think deeper and to search and to wrestle after a matter. And they often test us. In John 6 verses 5 to 6, it says, When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming towards him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Jesus doesn't ask to be condescending or to trick us, but to test our faith and to grow it. Now, test has connotations. Don't think scary test. Um, this is a good test. There's no judgment. It's there to grow knowledge and build understanding, deeper understanding. Think of it like a litmus test for acid or alkaline. It's not looking for goods or bad, it's just telling us what is. Jesus' questions aren't super theological, they're simple and they're provocative and they illuminate to us where, uh, where we are in our faith and our understanding and they point out to us areas where we need more faith or we need greater understanding. Again, he's asking questions here not to transform, not to transfer information, but to encourage transformation. Jesus' questions speak deep and we don't need to know the answers like we said earlier. Sometimes they're really difficult, but remember our, it's our glory to search them out, not to find them. The glory is in the searching and our faith 
is often grown in that space between Jesus's question and our answer. I also find that Jesus often replies to a question with a better question. (laughs) I think that's because he knows what we're really searching for and what we really want to know or what we really need. And he helps us reframe the question we're asking to help us go in the right direction towards that. For example, something I often get myself in a bit of a tiff about is saying things to God like, asking God questions like, why am I not like this person? Why don't I have this in my life? Why doesn't my life look like that? And a question that I often hear back is, what are you grateful for? What are you thankful for? Now, that's not directly answering my question, but really it is, isn't it? Because it's getting to the crux of the matter. He's inviting me to see the situation differently, not focus on what I don't have, but on the blessing he's already given me. And that reframed question reframes my perspective. I was looking for something good in those questions. I really was. Why am I not like this person? Why doesn't my life have this in it yet? Why doesn't things look like the way I want to? I want things to be good. But Jesus is pointing out that I might be missing what I already have. Another question I think Jesus often asks is, what do you think I would say? If you've ever been mentored or mentored someone, you're probably familiar with this question. What do you think Jesus would say about the situation? Or what do you think Jesus would say about you? It's a question that reframes the narrative and gets us thinking in the right direction. What are the answers we actually already know? What are the blessings he's already given us? What are the tools we've already got? And one of the best ways to learn is to teach. And often it takes us telling God the simple things that we think we already know and we know he already knows to realise what he's equipped us with and the truth that we actually already do know. So Jesus asking questions to give us free will because he wants us to choose him to invite us into relationship and ongoing conversation, ongoing honest conversation, and to encourage us to search and explore and see things differently. So what's Jesus asking you? Does he ask you questions? Are you listening for them? Maybe sometimes when we're not hearing God, it's because we're not listening for the right thing. We're inspecting, we're expecting direction, direction, sorry, or instructions, like a head teacher. Or we're doing all the talking and we're asking him and we're only listening really for direct answers and we're kind of deaf or blind to anything else. Maybe we can listen more to God when we know what to listen for, when we're listening for his questions. And this style of communication with God, this style of prayer, requires more space than, say, petition, where we're asking God for something for ourselves, or intercession, praying on behalf of others. This type of prayer requires um, no agenda, and, and no agenda for what we want to hear, and a lot of space to allow God to change the question. We don't have to be silent, but we have to leave silence and allow Jesus to speak and ask questions. And it requires us to be willing to be asked difficult, provocative questions that get us searching. I don't know about you, but sometimes I avoid that space with God because I know what he's going to ask me. And I know the answer I'm going to give. 
And I don't want to hear it. I don't want to give it. But Jesus asks good questions. And they always point us in the right direction. Even if they're difficult or uncomfortable. They're always for our good. So let's do it. Let's listen to what Jesus might be asking us. We're going to have some space right now to do just that. Super simple. It's not a complicated response because it's not a complicated practice and it's something we can do every day. A few prompts will come up on screen with some questions that Jesus asked in the Bible because as Ben said last week, one of the ways Jesus speaks to us is through the Bible. So maybe he's asking you one of these questions. Maybe think back to that first question we asked. What do you want? Maybe it's as simple as that. Maybe you have questions in your mind already. Maybe lean into those. Sometimes we assume that they're doubts and that they should be ignored, but maybe it's God inviting you to to talk to him about that. One way or another, we're going to use this space now to listen to what God might be asking us. 